Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 this morning for our text. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. This passage of scripture, Romans chapter 13, it's the uh, passage we're emphasizing this month uh, as far as our theme. What we said we would do at the beginning of the year is when we introduced our theme, Redeeming the Time, as found in Ephesians chapter 5, 16, I preached on that passage of scripture, our first Sunday of the year. And then each month, as we have a different verse emphasizing that theme, I said I would speak on that as well at the beginning of each month. So February, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, that says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. We emphasize that that, uh, talks about a time to work, a time to be diligent. Today, we're looking at Romans chapter 13, verse 11, which emphasizes the thought, it's a time to be alert, a time to wake, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now, the context here for Romans chapter 13 for this passage involves the believer's citizenship both on earth and in heaven, and we see that beginning at verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. However, the closing verses in this chapter are specifically directed toward the conduct of believers. One writer commenting on this passage identified four pictures here. In verse 11, you have the picture of sleeping versus awakening. Excuse me. In verse 12, you had the picture of darkness versus light. Of verse 13, the picture of walking straight versus walking crooked. And verse 14, the picture of clothing, putting on Christ and putting off the flesh. So looking at verse 11, it begins with Paul reminding Roman believers the time of the final blessing of salvation is near and should affect the conduct of all saints. You see, when we first get saved, there's an excitement about our salvation. I trust you remember the, the, the day, the time. Some of you might not remember the exact date, but certainly you remember when you got saved. The time when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You saw yourself lost and on your way to hell. The scripture tells us everyone is born into this world in sin. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. We are Christians today, not because we are good 
people, not because we are better than others, not because we are deserving of this wondrous gift. We are Christians today because we acknowledge the truth of Scripture that declares everyone is a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We acknowledge that and we receive the wondrous gift of salvation as offered by the Lord Jesus Christ when he purchased man's redemption on Calvary's cross. Recognize not every church and not every group agrees with that interpretation or that view of Scripture. But beloved, it's clearly what God's Word says. If we accept the fact that Calvary, the death of Christ on the cross, was a historical event, if we accept it was a spiritual event in that God did a great work on behalf of man, and it was a personal event because it's available to every one of us today. If we come to that conclusion, then how else could we decide but to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? What a wondrous gift that is. When we first got saved, there was an excitement, wasn't there? The problem is, for many, time passes. You see, days become weeks. Weeks turn into months. Months become years. And before long, we're measuring time by the decade. Looking back, some of you have been saved. Some of us have been saved 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. That's a long time to know the Lord. And wonderful it is. However, time has a way of eroding the excitement of our joy in Christ. Zeal wanes. The thrill of being a new creature in Christ fades. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves kind of being lulled into a spiritual sleep. That's what Paul is addressing here. We want to go ahead and make sure we understand this before we get going any further on this passage of Scripture. The word sleep here he's referring to is a lethargic, non-aggressive, lazy Christian life. It's the idea that we're just kind of going with the flow. we're We're just going along, not making any waves, just... Just taking life as it comes. It's the attitude that I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, and, and just go through life and not worry about anything, not do anything, not going to make any waves, not going to cause any trouble. It's not that we're, we're going to cause trouble as a Christian, but we have a voice that ought to be lifted up for the glory of God. When was the last time you shared your testimony with somebody? When was the last time you asked a person, you know, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Or something similar to that. When was the last time you passed out a gospel tract? When was the last time you said to a neighbor, well, I'd love for you to come to church with us this Sunday? You know, when we first got saved, that was all a part of our, our thinking and our, our life. But somewhere along the way, that, uh, well, that thrill just kind of died away for many And that's what Paul is referring to here. It's kind of like what the Lord said of the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. When he said, thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. We all have today, all of us who know Christ as Savior, 
We have the name of Christ by which we identify ourselves. But are we living for the Lord? Is there something stirring in our heart that causes us to joy and rejoice when we think of him? Well, in the latter part of verse 11, Paul gives the reason for this admonition or this rebuke. He tells believers in view of the times, they need to be more spiritually alert than ever. And may I say that, yes, that applies to us today. In light of what we see going on in our country and around the world, we need to be ever alert and aware of what's going on in the world today. And not so much that we're buying into all the teachings and the ideologies and the philosophies of the day, but we are alert to the dangers that we see affecting Christians around the world. All we need to be careful We need to be alert. We need to make sure when Christ returns, we're ready for him. 1 John 2.28 tells us, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Here, Paul gives us this admonition. In fact, he gives us five thoughts, or at least the way I've gone ahead and uh, outlined this today. He covers a five-fold admonition involving a believer's battle between the flesh and the spirit. He's saying, don't fall into that state of apathy or lethargy or just monotony to where nothing, you're not taking anything serious. But be alert and allow the Spirit of God to direct in your life and work with you. So he gives us five things this morning to help us to say, wake up! It's time to look around, pay attention, recognize the Lord is coming again, and we need to be living as such. So he gives us five things here to help us in this area. We're going to look at those beginning at verse 13. He said, let us walk honestly. First thing he points out here is we need to be sincere in our walk. You see, he points out this imperative to be honest. It speaks of being honorable, decent, or of noble behavior. And notice Paul says, as in the day. He's simply pointing out, you're saved. You claim to be a Christian right now, then right now, as in this day, you need to live for God. You need to be pleasing to Him. Don't put it off and say, well, you know... One of these days, I'm going to live for the Lord. One of these days, I'm going to be serious about serving God. One of these days, I'm going to get more involved in the work of the Lord. No, today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Listen, if it is the day of salvation for the lost, it is then the day of service for we who are saved. Paul's saying we need to be honest in our conduct with others. We claim to be children of light. We ought to live and act like it. One of the most common criticisms you hear of churches today is they're full of hypocrites. Well, I don't want to go down there. You know, those people, they'll, they'll talk one way and they'll live another way. Well, the sad fact is there's some truth to that. You know, God expects us to live the same way tomorrow out in the world as we are here today 
in the church house. God expects us to exercise the same activities. God expects us to use the same speech. It amazes me how some people can separate or divide the secular from the sacred. And how they can choose to live one way, one day of the week, and totally different another day, uh, the rest of the week. Beloved, we ought to live a consistent life before the Lord Jesus Christ and before the world, and therefore we can be honest, not just in our speech, but in our testimony to others. He wants us to be honest. That's what Paul admonishes us here. Acts chapter 6, verse 3 said, Wherefore, brethren, the Lord says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. That's the choosing of, of leaders in the early church there at Jerusalem. Why didn't Peter say, why don't you just go ahead and pick seven crooks? Why don't you pick seven reprobates? Why? Because in representing Christianity, you want the best. You know, God expects each of us to be at our best, not just today, but every day. That our conduct would be becoming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 17 says, Providing th- provide things honest in the sight of all men, not just in front of believers, but in front of everybody. 2 Corinthians 8, 21, proving, uh, provide, me, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of all men. You say, well, really, my conduct before the Lord is all that matters. Well, not according to Scripture. Our conduct before the Lord does matter, but it as well matters in regard to all those whom we come into contact with. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. George Washington was noted as saying, I hope I shall always possess firmness and virtue enough to maintain what I consider the most enviable of all titles, the character of an honest man. How appropriate for the first president of the United States of America to deem it necessary to be honest in the eyes of all. Notice secondly here, Paul goes on to give us another issue that we need to be aware of if we're going to be awake, if we're going to walk in such a way that's pleasing to the Lord, is that we are to walk soberly. Romans 13, verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. I'm sure that's not a problem today, but certainly it is an admonition that Paul wants us to be aware of. The Lord wants us to be uh, cognizant of this. The word rioting, excuse me, it's an interesting word. He said, not in rioting and drunkenness. The word rioting, rioting, originally it referred to a band of friends who accompanied a victor home from the games. And they would sing praises and they would celebrate his victory as he went, uh, made his way through the streets back to his home. So it was kind of a, a cheering section. Well, the problem is it changed. and Later it came to mean a noisy band of revelers who swept their way through the city streets at night. So what started out as something good, the idea that they were praising the victory of one, the accomplishments of this victor, now has turned into a rowdy, raucous, loud crowd that causes a problem. It came to describe the conduct which lowers a person's self 
and is a nuisance to others. We ought not to be a nuisance to others. Our conduct ought to be such as it would be a blessing to others. Now today we might refer to this as a a rowdy, carousing, party-growing crowd. But then he goes on to say drunkenness as well. means intoxication, we know that. To the Greeks, drunkenness was considered to be a disgraceful and shameful act. This was a practice that not only a Christian, but any respectable heathen also would have condemned. We need to be awake to the fact that we live in a day and time where drunkenness and debauchery and wickedness is lauded as praiseworthy. Beloved, there's nothing praiseworthy about someone getting so drunk that he or she is stumbling through the streets and can't control themselves. The world lives to satisfy the desires of the flesh. And the Christian is to have no part in such a lifestyle. I realize folks will disagree with us on that point. We shared this with you as we were working our way through the book of Proverbs and looking at topics. And we spent some time considering this uh, admonition by Solomon that uh, we're we're not to drink wine. We're not to have anything to do with that. I personally hold a conviction that we are to be teetotalers. We are to absolutely abstain from all types of alcoholic beverages. You, know, you can disagree with me if you want. That's fine. You're wrong. That, that's my conviction. I base that on the Word of God. We don't have time to go through that now, but I mention it by way of this context. You see, Galatians 5.21 warns us, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That does not mean a person who takes a drink of liquor can't go to heaven. What it does mean, though, is that that lifestyle is unbecoming of Christ and Christianity, and we ought to avoid it. Well, Paul admonishes us to be sincere, to be sober, and then goes on to talk about how we ought to be spotless before the Lord and before the world. Romans 13, 13, notice, not in chambering and wantonness. Chambering, it speaks of immorality. It's the person who sets no value on fidelity and takes pleasure when and where they will. Wantonness, the second word here, it's been, it's been um, referred to as the ugliest word in the Greek language. You see, it's licentiousness that knows no shame. Most people will try to conceal their evil deeds. But a wanton individual neither cares who sees them nor do they care what anyone thinks about them. So the immorality, the the debauchery that this refers to, which was common in that day, you're familiar with Roman culture, Paul says for a Christian, the quality of a person's life 
is seen through their testimony, not just in their speech, but how they act. And someone who looks at others and says, I don't care what you think about me. You run into people like that every day, I'm sure, at least uh, several times throughout the week in your activities. You come into contact with people who are vulgar. Isn't it amazing the language that you hear? Uh, it, It used to be, if you were in a restaurant and somebody used a cuss word, you could say something, and that person said, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't that. Nowadays, it's rare to have a conversation with, with some people and with, with them being able to abstain from using such language. It's incredible. You know, the old phrase, you know, you know cuss like a sailor. <laughs> you heard that one, Walter? Man, I tell you what, you get around some women's bowling leagues, and the, the air is going to turn blue. It's unbelievable. And then what's tragic is you're listening to a bunch of children in elementary, junior high, and high school, and they're using the same language. It's in our music industry. It's in our entertainment industry across the board. Athletes, uh, actors, uh, movie, it doesn't matter. People today just live a wicked life and they boast about it. Someone who is a wanton person absolutely does not care what others think about them. You know, for us as Christians, sometimes we have to guard against this attitude. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I believe the Bible is the word of God. And I believe we have the unadulterated, literal word of God in our hands today. And I can say, and I don't care if you like that or not. I don't care what you think about that. Fact is, I do care. It doesn't matter if you disagree with me, because that's not going to change the way I live, but I do care. Because if you don't care, it means you've closed your heart to the truth, and you've closed your heart to that which I see as being near and dear to me. We as Christians need to care about what others think of us. We don't need to take the attitude, I'm going to do what I want, and I don't care what you think. Guard against that. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 said, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. We don't live for the approval of men. But if we live right, and we're honest, and we're trustworthy, and we're dependable, we can have the approval of men, and there's nothing wrong with that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Bible tells us to flee fornication. Bible tells us pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We're to live a pure life. If we're going to wake up and recognize these are days in which we need to live for God, we need to be sincere. We need to be sober. We need to be spotless. It was George Whitfield who said, It is undoubtedly true that every doctrine that comes from God leads to God. And that which doth not tend to promote holiness is not of God. 
Beloved, the concept of living a holy life, though viewed by some as being old-fashioned, outmoded, outdated, and unnecessary, they are wrong. It is important to live a holy life today, just as it was in the days the scripture was written. Someone else has said, no attribute of God is more dreadful to sinners than his holiness. We are to be sincere, we are to be sober, we are to be spotless, we are to be serene. Verse 13, let us walk, the end of that verse, not in strife and envying. Strife, it's squabbling, it's wrangling, it's contending, it's bickering, it's petty disagreement. Envying, Greek word that is zelos, it's from which we get our word zealous. It's not necessarily a bad word, it can describe one's desire to work to achieve success, or to be great. However, its negative connotation means coveting, jealousy, or indignation. It speaks of wanting or desiring what someone else has. Strife. Strife comes from an unholy competition. Envying comes from an unholy desire. Beloved, as Christians, we need to guard against that. If we're going to redeem the time this year, if we're going to awake and recognize it's necessary to live for God now while we have the opportunity, we need to live a life that is peaceable in the eyes of God and others. James 3.14 says, But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth from above, but is earthly. Excuse me. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. That one little word is very important there. It says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Envy, strife. No place for it in a home. No place for it in a church house. No place for it at work. There ought not to be a place for it in society, but there is but there certainly ought not to be a place for it in the heart of God's children. Someone has said jealousy is like a spider which makes its home anywhere on seemingly nothing. Another has said envy shoots at others and wounds herself. We're to be sincere, sober, spotless, serene. And in verse 14, we're to be single-minded. Romans 13, 14 But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You see, we're to put off the works of the flesh and put on Christ. That comes down to a choice. Just like all these other things we're talking about. We choose to live for God. We choose to serve Him. We choose to live a holy life and pattern our life after the Lord. Here we are challenged to walk according to what we are rather than what we were. Put off the old. Put on the new. We're new creatures in Christ. Thus we should live accordingly. You see the word put on expresses the idea of being arrayed uh, arrayed or clothed. And uh, here we see the sharp contrast between the spirit-led life and the flesh-led life. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. God expects us to be yielded to him, 
That simply means saying, Lord, I want you to work in and through me, and I choose to follow your will rather than my own. But that's a choice. Some of you may have actually prayed something like that this morning when you began your day. If you didn't, why not? We need to let the Lord lead and direct in our lives. In closing, Paul says, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The word provision means forethought. Did you get that? Provision means forethought. Make not provision for the flesh. Make no plans to satisfy the flesh. Don't take steps which will lead you into ungodliness and immorality. You see, this is important because the outward life follows the thought life. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why it's so very important in all these areas we look at to wake up and say, God, help us, please. We might live for you and to be pleasing to you and not be caught up in the ways of the world, not be driven with the wind and tossed about, not be like one who just goes along with everything, but God, that we might stand up and choose to live a life that is honoring to thee. A simple way to state what we have seen in this passage is, it's time to live differently than the world. We're to be sincere, sober, spotless, serene, and single-minded. Beloved, we are to awake. It is high time to look around us and say we need to be busy about the will of God. I close with this illustration. It's a story of a dear lady who uh, from a, a country, a r- very rural and country area, she was going on a train ride for her very first time. She was traveling about 50 miles through a beautiful region of her state, and she, she was looking forward to this trip with great pleasure, so excited about it. She wanted to see so many things along the way. But once she got onto the train, it took her so long to get her baskets and parcels arranged just right, her skirt to be adjusted, her seat to be comfortably arranged, the shades and sutters right, the anxious questions about all the things that she had left behind answered. That She was just settling down to enjoy the trip when a conductor walked through the car and announced her station was the next stop. And she was startled and said, oh my If only I had known we would be there so soon, I wouldn't have wasted my time fussing. The Lord is coming again. And if only we knew just how soon it really was, we wouldn't be wasting our time chasing after so many things in this world. But we would be alert. We would be aware recognizing the fields are white already to harvest. The need is great. The hour is short. It's important for us, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep 
For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Whatever day you got saved, you are closer to the Lord today than you were then. He's coming again. Let's be faithful and serve him while we have time and opportunity.